Today in the Multiply Podcast, we're discussing better talks. How do I become a better communicator in any setting? Check it out. Hey everybody, welcome back or welcome to the Multiply Podcast. My name is Jared. My name is David. So glad you guys are with us. Welcome to our new studio. New studio. If you're listening on uh, audio, you cannot see the beauty that is our faces. <laughs> that is how audio works. Yeah, yeah. But we are recording from a brand new... No expense spared. When we hit 100 million listens, we said, you know what? Enough is enough. Time. Stop playing games. Stop playing games. Do Let's do real. this right. And so... We're here. Yeah. We're here. 100 million listens later. Yep. It feels good. Dave, how you been? I've been well. I'm doing well. We are, uh, for those of you who don't know, we, we live in upstate New York, and it's uh, winter's already here. We got our first snowstorm, yeah. a few inches of snow the other day, plows are out, so we're already bracing. You know, I like to get through Thanksgiving without a lot of snow, and this is not going to be the year for that. No, no. This your, is... your family likes snow? Do you guys enjoy it? Do you do um, snow activities? or? Not really. Not really. You're not. You don't ski. No, it's too expensive. Aren't you from Vermont? I am. Didn't I ski. Like, I used to ski. Born skiing. I used to, but it's too expensive. It is expensive. You got to spend so much money. But you know what's not expensive? Snowball Staying fights. Staying inside and watching oh. Netflix. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. We like to, you know, have a little fire going, enjoy the snow from yeah, yeah. from a, a warm indoor presence. It's weird to think about living somewhere in our country where there's no, there's never seasons like that. That just my whole life I've lived up here, so it's just so weird to think of like. Just never thinking about the next season. Never changing. Must like be nice. in San Diego. Uh, yeah, I'm sure in some ways it is, but I, I, I do like the diversity a little bit. Yeah. No, but, I like the snow until about February. Then I'm like, all right, let's yeah. go spring. It's not even the snow. It's the fact that we don't see the sun. Yeah. And that's what really kind of is depressing. That's true. But, yeah, so we're doing well. Doing well. We're excited to be back at it. We've missed. We've been away a few weeks. We had some vacation. Yep. You were sitting around doing nothing as but usual. You were vacationing. I was working. No, let's just be no, honest. No, you were being lazy, and I was taking some family time as needed <laughs> but we're back at it we're excited and today we're gonna hit a topic that is um really close to home because we're actually basing it off a resource that you wrote yeah one of many you are an accomplished author if people yeah. didn't know yeah maybe you've heard of it it's called good to great and uh <laughs> <laughs> no, pretty sure that's not um, you no I, a few years ago i wrote a booklet called better talks and the whole concept or the subtitle of better talks is crafting messages that make sense and delivering messages that make a difference. And, you know, we've spent really all of our adult lives preaching and teaching in different contexts. And I feel like I've learned a lot along the way, both from reading books. There's great books out there on preaching that you should familiarize yourself. Tim Keller, James Bradford, Andy Stanley, great preaching books. And I just kind of thought, I felt like I had developed a model that was working well for me. It was really informed by all of those influences. And I put my own language to it and started to talk about it and thought this would be a helpful resource for leaders in New York and wrote it. And it's been, uh, by all reports, it's been really useful to some people. And so preaching is a big part of discipleship. Of course, preaching is not all there is to discipleship, yeah. but it's the key. I would say it's it's one of the key elements of the large group disciple making environment is right. Preaching, teaching, whatever you want to call it, but but public reading of scripture accompanied by interpretive teaching and applying the text to people's lives. So yeah. it's a big deal, and you and I do a lot of it. I know that this maybe this specific topic is a little more narrow than what we talk about sometimes. And maybe you're listening, thinking I'm not a preacher. I do think there are some principles that will apply to you if you do any public speaking, 
but also just sort of help you maybe prepare you for something you're going to do in the future you don't even anticipate right now. Yeah, absolutely. So you lay out in the resource six steps. Yeah. We're going to do uh, two podcasts. We're going to break it down three. We're going to talk about three of the steps this podcast, and then on our next podcast, we'll release the other three. So once you get us started, what is step number one? Yeah, so step number one in the Better Talks model, and and let me just say, it's, it's just a model. It's not the model. Um, but it's, it's the D Hurtwick model. It's the really. D Hurt D Hurt model. D Hurt model. D Hurt money model. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, but the first step is called the takeoff. Ooh. Mm. And the takeoff is just a sort of fancy way of saying it's your introduction. Yeah. Uh, what do you try to accomplish in an introduction of a message? And I'll tell you what's wrong about your answer. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> this is a good. Just uh, yeah. I uh, I think some of it depends on the audience you're speaking. A lot of it does. Yeah. yeah. But in general, I, I want to try to connect with the audience. Mm-hmm. I want to try to introduce um, my main focus or my main point. What's the one thing I want people to walk away with from this talk? Yeah. Um, and for me, one of the way, one of the things that I ch- genuinely try to do in my intros, and this is just my speaking style, is I want to make people laugh. I want to. Um, I want to. I usually try to embarrass myself in some way, mm-hmm. and uh, and hopefully. Hopefully, by the end of that time, as I start to move from that into the bulk of the message, they're going, huh, I kind of want to listen to this dude. Yeah. I think that is one of the goals in the takeoff is to per, is to present yourself in a genuine way that is warm and engaging and even self-deprecating at times. Because people may be inspired by our wins. They may respect us because of our wins. But the truth is they connect to people. They connect us out of our fails. Yeah. Right. And so there's an appropriate level of ex- of sort of transparency when it comes to failures, but uh, just funny stuff about things you're learning about yourself and being able to communicate something about yourself that's not perfect, that's very human. Right. And then the room feels like, oh, I'm, I can relate to that. Oh, man, yeah. this guy is willing to share that about himself. He doesn't think he's better than us. He's not trying to pretend he's someone that he's not. And really, one of the goals in the first few moments of a message, especially if you're preaching to an audience that doesn't know you, and I should say that even if you're preaching to the same audience every week, you still should probably take this approach because there should be people there for the first time who don't know you, right? So don't ever get lazy and just assume everybody in the room knows you. Right. Um, but one of the sort of goals, if you kind of want a target in your mind, is you want to pre- you want to present yourself in such a way that if you were to stop after three minutes, four minutes, however long your takeoff is, the person would say, I would be interested in having coffee with that person. Like, yeah. I would like to sit down and talk with that person. There's something about them that I feel like it's interesting, it's engaging. And there's a difference, by the way, of course, from being entertaining versus being engaging, right? Right. How would you explain that difference? Well, um, I think you can be entertaining in a way that people think you're funny, they think you're smart, they're like, oh, that's really fun, but it doesn't um, move them closer to the end goal, which is mm. engaging them with your point, with Scripture, ultimately with Jesus. Yeah. So it's it could be very disjointed. It's not actually part of the movement process of getting them to the uh, to the end zone. To use a football analogy, mm, very good. To get them around the bases. Oh yes. To get the to ball hit into the cricket the stick. To no. king your chess piece. <laughs> okay. Okay. <laughs> Let's I don't stop. Think that's 
don't think. No, that's not Checkers? a thing. I don't know. But uh, yeah, I think entertainment is sometimes it's just trying to build your message around your personality, your story. Like, do you like me? Do you like me? And I, and I guess it has to be said because maybe if you're listening, the tension you're feeling is like, am I selling myself? What do you mean? Do you want to have coffee with me? And there is a tension to navigate there. It's not about building that connection for selfish purposes or to get people to like you. It's building that connection so that they will continue to listen to you and feel connected, developing that sort of that ethos as a communicator that I'm someone that you should listen to. Yeah. Uh, one of the w- things I try to think about is I want them to think um, this guy understands something about my life and about my situation, mm-hmm. which is why I should listen to him. Because I, uh, I walk into most settings assuming in my mind no one, he- no one here has a reason to listen to me. I yeah. need to convince them there's mm-hmm. a reason why they should keep listening. Mm-hmm. And so it's not as much just entertaining it's it's also uh, communicating to them in such a way they relate to me to go okay he knows something about me or something about my world you know yeah yeah some of the things that i try to focus on in the resource about the takeoff is i i just think we need to start our messages strong sometimes i see people get up there and they kind of limp their way into their message they get up there they're almost talking under their breath a little bit they're they're moving their papers around they're setting up and they're already beginning their message while they're not even looking at the audience and uh, my suggestion is get to the podium or the table, whatever you're using, get yourself set up, even if it means an awkward five seconds of silence for you to get set up, get yourself set up, take a breath, look at the audience, start strong and just, just don't don't waste too much time on introduction. Just start right in with your story. And, mm. and I think a lot of times the takeoff is a personal story or some sort of a recent um, cultural observation. Right? Yeah, it's not the only way, but I think there were maybe in years past preaching preachers often would open with like a story out of a out of like a book, a clip, you know, like a clip out of like a preaching illustration book where like a man walks into a church and da, 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 da. And it's like there's still a place for that. I'm sure it still can be useful. Sure. But but I think now it's more like this past week, I, my family and I went apple picking. And while we were there, I noticed this, you know, and you're just you're relating, you're connecting, but you're pulling in a truth. And you're using that story to head to the topic of your message. Yeah. So do you have any advice? I know you can relate to this. Let's say there's those that say humor is not my strength, which I think you can totally relate. Um, I'm just kidding. David used humor a lot in his intros. But for those who feel like I'm not a, that's not my thing. How do you do intros when maybe humor is not your natural gift set? Yeah. Or takeoffs. I'm sorry, not intros. Yeah. I think, um, Sometimes humor is just in the way you see things, you know, and there's a lot of humor opportunities. If you have a family, there's always there's certain things that everybody relates to, I think. And and we both have kids. And so anytime you talk about kids, things that you're experiencing as a family, stress points, um, uh, things that you're observing about the world around you. Uh, I think there's ways to not try to be funny, but just share your point of view in a way that is honest, transparent, and reveal something about the human condition and mm-hmm. people can relate to. So if, you, if you're not funny, at least be real and be connecting your experience with the average person's experience. But also, I think people can get funnier. Like, I think you, you need to listen to other people who are funny. Listen to stand-up comics, yeah. their pacing, their timing. Listen to great storytellers. Pay attention to how much detail they include, how much detail they leave out. Because storytelling really is a craft, right? Yeah. And and uh, listen to TED Talks, podcasts, storytelling podcasts. And then the other thing I would say about these stories is that maybe even more than the story, as far as what matters in the takeoff, 
It's being engaged with the room while you're telling the story. So I think you need to memorize. Out of all these six steps, the one that I think you most have to memorize is the takeoff. Get to the podium or the table, say your opening line, and then leave your notes. Walk to the side, walk to the front of the stage, whatever the setup of the room is like, and engage the room, come across as warm, friendly, look at people, actually make eye contact with individuals for two to three seconds at a time, any longer right. than that, and it gets a little creepy. But actually, <laughs> you know, start to do that. And one of the things that comes across as super disgenuine, disgenuine, is that a word? Um, yes, sure. Lacking in genuine, genuinity. Yep, that's we, definitely worse, worse right? <laughs> is when somebody reads a personal story. Yeah, that's a little rough. Because you're sitting there thinking, did this happen to you or not? Because if you and I are like... So having, last night, my wife and I yeah. were... Uh, right. I remember when I was a junior higher that this girl came up to me and said, you know, right. and you're like, did this happen or no? And, you know, when you and I are like, if you and I are having dinner or, or I'm getting coffee with a friend, I never say, oh, I got to tell you this great story. Hold on. Let me get my notes. Yeah, it's true. There's no other situation, right, where you do that. So I think actually you're better off not telling the story as well as you think you could if it means not looking at your notes. Yeah. Memorize your takeoff. And then the last thing I would say about the takeoff is um, it, the story has to serve the sermon. Mm. Sometimes something hilarious happens to you and you're just like, I got to figure out how to make this fit in my message. And you tell this killer story and then there's like, there's no way to really. <laughs> so anyway, we're talking about yeah. lying. <laughs> so this morning. Yeah. Right. And so the problem is, is that even if you're hilarious for five minutes, it still counts towards the time that the audience is going to give you their attention. Like the clock has started. The clock doesn't yeah. start after you're done with your takeoff. And people aren't that dumb to where right. you do that and they're kind of like, okay, what did that have to... Yeah. Like you can almost lose any ground you've gained yeah. by, I think, doing that. Now, there there is a way where you can connect a funny story that isn't necessarily the point of your message and you can kind of sidestep to a related story that is. So like, for example, yeah. um, when I, when I'm, if I'm talking about mission and I want to tell a story about these two young men that we met in Belfast, Northern Ireland, Maddie and Clarkie, who put their faith and trust in Jesus. And two years later, when we came back, they were still serving God and they were leaders in the local church. And we, you know, we wept when we saw them because you don't always see the fruit of what God does through those missions trips. And I want to get to Maddie and Clarkie, but I don't necessarily just want to start there. Uh, and so what I what I might do instead is tell the story about when we were in Belfast, something weird we ate or a time I tried to do a bicycle kick, which is a story I've told a lot, um, or just a time that we used an English word that means something else over there. So I, I'm kind of telling this funny, relatable, personal fail story. And then after I tell that story, I sidestep to this. You know, while we were there in Belfast that year, we met these two young men. Right. And then I get to the story of Maddie and Clarkie that actually is going to connect me to the text. Now, the only the only warning I would give about this is it, it, you can it can you can end up doing a 10 minute take takeoff. Yeah. In some settings, that might be OK. But pay attention. Don't let your takeoff dominate your talk to the point where, like, you have 30 minutes to speak and half of it is your takeoff. Yeah. This should probably only be like 15 percent of your your talk. Yeah. I, I I'll do a similar tactic where I will connect a funny um a funny story to a spiritual reality mm-hmm. so i recently preached and I, I i told a story about how um my wife was telling encouraging other people to do stuff that she wasn't willing to do she was afraid to do it but she was encouraging them to go zip lining right and I, and then my connection was doesn't isn't that often true of our own spiritual lives where we find ourselves in positions where we're preaching and teaching about stuff that we're not living out on our own so i yeah. think you can also 
use that as your segue um, if, if you do it well enough. And one thing I learned from um, a couple great communicators, Doug Fields and Duffy Robbins, is they said, when you're transitioning from a story to, the, to what it's illustrating, or vice versa, you're, you're making a point and then you're shifting to a story, he said, the audience is smart. Never insult them or waste your time by saying, I want to tell you a story now that illustrates this truth. Just <laughs> say the truth, say take a breath, start the story. Yeah. The audience knows what you're doing, and if the story's good, the connection's going to be obvious, and if the story's bad, it doesn't matter how clean, how clear you've made it for the audience. So, you know, when you're telling the story about, hey, Jen was telling everybody, man, you should go ziplining, and, 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 and she didn't even go ziplining. Can you believe that? And the whole room will laugh. And then it says, instead of then saying, you know what this reminds me of? Yeah. Or here's what this illustrates. Just say your next thing. Aren't there times in our lives where we don't want to take that step of faith? Right. Everybody gets it, right? Yeah. But a lot of preachers I hear, they still painfully try to thread together, knit together their story. Just just let it stand, right? Yeah. So that's the takeoff. Then the second step is, and you actually already kind of referenced this, the tension. Mm. And this is where you uh, anticipate and articulate the question that your sermon is going to answer. And one of the biggest mistakes I think that preachers make is they assume that everybody in the room cares about what they're talking about. Yeah. You're much better off walking into your sermon prep with this mentality. Nobody in this room cares <laughs> about what I have to say. Right. And so how do I help them care? And this is the tension. You raise tension in the room by presenting verbally the question that your message is going to address. And you raise the question in a way that they can connect with. And that... that um necessitates you knowing what they care about right mm -hmm. which is oh yeah which is also um sometimes challenging because you have to spend time with people right and that's one thing is like preaching is never just a um a gift to exercise from a stage it's an act of love and pastors that distance themselves from their people so that they think it will give them more time to be better preachers they may write more biblically accurate well thought out well crafted talks but eventually they're not going to be answering questions people are asking and their messages are going to lose their usefulness. Yeah. I remember, I think it was Paul David Tripp, uh, um, in one of his books that I read, he talked about how seminary grads are sometimes some of the worst preachers Yeah, because they're coming out wrestling with the Greek and they're Bible geeks. They're Bible the, nerds. They're right. answering those questions. And he said, nobody cares. Yeah. It doesn't, no one in, no one in that sanctuary is going, Oh man, it really speaks to me. No, they're, they're worried about their marriage. They're worried about their kids. They're worried about their jobs. Yeah. And so, uh, in order to hit the tension, you got to first understand where, where are these people at? And that, that changes depending on your audience. If mm -hmm. you're speaking to youth, mm -hmm. children, adults, seniors, where in the, where in the world or in the country are you speaking? Like, Right. That takes some work to really. Yeah. And one thing, as you as you craft this question, you take time to ask this question. Um, I think it's important that you write it in different formats. So like one of the, one of the pieces of advice I would give is like try to write the same question, basically using the five key question words. What, why, how, where, when. Right. And, and just write the same write the question out using all five methods and then wrestle with which one actually is most helpful. So I wrote some down, like say you're gonna do a message on forgiveness. Here's, here's what you could do. You could say, um, what should we do when we don't wanna forgive? Have you ever been there? Mm. And by the way, once you do that question, just let it hang for a second. Let the room feel the weight of the tension. Or how should we treat those who haven't treated us well? Right. Uh, why would I forgive someone who's hurt me? 
When is forgiveness actually deserved and, and when shouldn't it be given? Or where do we find the strength to forgive people? So that's five versions of the same basic question using the five different words. And now you can kind of look through them and wrestle with them and think, now don't ask all of them, that would be redundant, but pick the one that makes the best bridge from the tension into the message and, and really spend time thinking of this question in, in terms of how, what the audience will relate to present the question in, a, in maybe one or two forms, let it hang, and then say something like, this morning, we're going to look at a text that's going to help us understand this, which is totally different than saying, this morning, I'm going to tell you the yeah. answer to this question, right? Yeah. Because cause one points the attention and the hopes of the audience to yourself, right. and the other one points the hopes and the attention of the audience to the scriptures. Mm-hmm. So the tension leads to the third point, which before I get to the third point, is there anything else you want to say about the, yeah, the, the only, tension? The only thing I would tie into what you just communicated is I think it's also important when we're doing that tension piece or making that statement is to use um, we language or us language, mm. not you language. So you want to communicate the idea that this is this is an all of us problem. Yeah. Not a I'm the preacher, you're down there. Um, you guys need to figure this out. I think that goes a long way. And that that's something that's important throughout, but certainly in that tension point saying, could it be possible that in this room we all think we're doing one thing, but really we're doing another? Mm. And then you just drop the mic and walk away for about 35 <sighs> seconds. And you just let the tears just begin let, to flow in just, the room. That's right. Mm. And then you come back and be like, okay, I'm back. And then the synth pad comes in <laughs> and then you take the offering. So after the tension, we're headed to the third step, which is the last one we'll talk about in this episode, which is the text. And the text is exactly what it sounds like. The text is the scripture passage from which you're preaching. And this is really the moment in the sermon where there's the public reading of scripture. So we're not talking about the teaching yet. That's the next step. We're literally just talking about the reading of the text. And one thing I always like to say when I talk about well, this model... Would this also go to the choosing of the text too? Yes. Okay. So this is what I was going to say. In this, in this model... Although the text is the third step in the delivery, doesn't have to be, by the way. Some people like to read their text before the message begins. But because in this model, the text is the third step, don't be confused about where it belongs in the preparation. Mm. In message prep, it's the first step, right? You start with the text. Now, what's the danger in your experience of starting with a topic, a thought, an idea, and then looking for a text? Well, the danger is, and it can be done, Um, but the danger is we already go in with all our preconceived ideas and, um, our preconceived perspective of what should be said and what shouldn't versus, um, working through a text, doing the exegesis to say, what is God saying to us through this? And then I'm going to apply it. So, um, I also think when you're preaching long-term, like let's, let's say you're a regular communicator every week, one of the potential pitfalls is you only end up talking about stuff that, um, you think matters versus giving a broad picture of what all of the Bible is teaching. Yeah. yeah. Our friend Dan Williams calls this preaching your pet peeves, politics, and preferences. Yeah. Right. And um, starting with the text and asking uh, the question, what does this text have to say? Uh, and we'll talk a little more in the next episode about how to actually break the text down. But starting with the text, staying with the text, and refusing to make the text peripheral to your sermon or a prop in your sermon. Sometimes preachers will read a text, but it feels like they read it only because they know they should, but then the message actually is not coming out of the text. Yeah. 
So how does the message actually start with the text and stay with the text? And then an- another thought with the text is thinking through translation and the length of the text that you want to preach from. What are your thoughts on picking a translation to teach from based on the audience? And also how long of a passage should we be preaching from? Yeah, I probably have less thoughts on the translation than you do. Um, I-, I want it to be understandable, to make sense, and to be accurate. Mm-hmm. Um you you I know you have probably more thoughts on the translation than I do, but those are the basic things. But yeah, um, but for me, as far as the length of the text, I've got some. I personally have some flexibility here, depending on the audience. Um, so there are times that I have preached through an entire uh, chapter, like the story of Naaman in Second Kings chapter five, I believe. Mm-hmm. I'll preach basically the whole story of Naaman, which is a whole chapter. But I am selective at choosing a what what small part of this scripture yeah. am I going to choose? Because mm-hmm. I can't read the whole thing, obviously, nor should I. But if I'm going to do that, I, then I have to be able to tell the whole story, which is a whole nother skill set. Yeah. So strategically figuring out what small portion am I going to read. Um, but then there's other times if I'm preaching um, to a group of pastors or leaders, I feel a little more flexibility to be able to read a longer text because I know mm-hmm. I, I shouldn't be as worried about these guys going, oh, more Bible? Yeah. And I think scripture has a way, you know, the way it's the way we have it now in its current form, it's sort of broken into, you know, chunks, it's maybe called uh, pericopes, portions of scripture that are sort of meant to be interpreted and understood together, especially when you're preaching maybe from the epistles and there's certain paragraph based thoughts that Paul is presenting or specific stories in um in the gospels. I think there's two dangers to avoid. One is like just picking one random verse yeah, without the context and preaching it. And I think that anytime we preach, because the society that we're preaching to is so biblically illiterate, we got to do a little bit of contextual work for the audience. Now, I can't, you can't spend 10 minutes explaining to them like all the historical context and, and all the political implications and who was sitting on what throne. Like that kind of can get tedious. Yeah. But like, so like right now at, at Trinity, we're doing a series on Thessalonians from First and Second Thessalonians. So I might say something like this. This morning, we're going to look at a text and this is actually a letter that a man named Paul wrote to a church in, Thessal- in Thessalonica. Paul was traveling around, planting churches, developing leaders, and he went to Thessalonica, but he got ran out of town before he could really finish the work he wanted to do. And he got a few towns away, and he kind of was still thinking about them. So he sent Timothy back to get a report, and Timothy came back to him while he was in another city called Corinth with the report. And the report said things are good, but there are some challenges. And Paul so loved these people that he decided to write them a letter. And he wrote this letter, and this is what we're looking at this morning. Now, that took me 20 seconds, right? Yeah. And so, but that's super helpful. I mean, you totally lost me, but yeah. Yeah, well, I saw your eyes glaze over. As soon as I said Thessalonica, you were like... "Mm." I was like, why are we making up words? (laughs) So... Um, anyway, uh, I think now you've thrown me. Yeah, providing some quick context for the text. The other thing I would say, and I really love what you said, by the way, about um, telling a longer story, but then just highlighting the key phrases, the key verses in it, right? I think both are important. Um, you said you have flexibility in preaching longer texts, but I've also never seen you just bury your head and read a chapter of the Bible no. in a preaching environment, especially because you currently speak a lot of times uh, in some context to young people. And, uh, Having said that, I do think that when we read Scripture, my last thought on this is there should be a way that we bring special emphasis to the Scripture. So I personally have a conviction that I want to hold a Bible in my hand when I'm reading it. 
my notes are on my iPad and the scriptures on the iPad, but I've actually have a, have a Bible that my parents gave me when I was a little kid. It's King James Version, which I don't, I, that's not the translation I preach from usually anymore. And so I, what I actually do is I, I print out the verse and I, and I um, paper clip it in. And so when I'm reading the scripture, I have the Bible in my hand because I want this visual reminder for our church family. Like, this is where the message is coming from. It's not coming from my head. It's not coming from culture or society or philosophy. It's coming from scripture. Mm. Uh, some churches have people stand during the reading of scripture, which I think is a great sign of honor if that fits yeah. your culture. Some people bring, ask somebody else to come up and read the text to bring special attention to it. And even the way that you read the text, the passion and the sort of uh, heartfelt reading of the text I think bringing focus in the room to, hey, what we're doing now is actually, this is the most important thing you're going to hear all morning. Mm. I'm going to do my best to explain this, but don't kind of like zone out during the reading of Scripture and then tune back in when I start explaining it. Lean in now and value and honor the text. Yeah, I like that. I really like that a lot. One of the things that I I love doing is, and it doesn't always work, but I've preached entire youth um, retreats by taking three verses and every service I'd take one verse. Mm. And I, the one of the reasons I love doing it is because I feel like it communicates to, to people. There's so much here, like it's so rich. And if yeah. you can do it well, then it, it really, it, it's helpful for them. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I, I love that. Um, when I was preaching every week, I love taking preaching through books of the Bible. I know it's not the only way, mm-hmm. but I found it super helpful um, and beneficial for my own study and for not preaching my, my pet peeves. and Well, it ensures you start with the text. Yeah. It also means you don't have to do the contextual heavy lifting every single week because if you kind of right. done, it, done it once, you can do a shorter version of it from week to week. And it certainly forces you to preach passages that maybe you would avoid if you were preaching just topical. That's a good point. There's some big wins to preaching through books. And I probably half of the time at Trinity on Sunday mornings we're preaching, maybe even more than half the time we're preaching through books. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. All right. So real quick, the, the three, give us a, yeah, a recap. Yeah, so we have the takeoff, which is the introduction. We have the tension, which is raising the question that your message is going to exam- answer, which, by the way, you better your message better actually address that question that you raise. Otherwise, it's, it's a um, kind of a tease. So there's the takeoff, there's the tension, and then there's the text. And so next episode, we're going to look at the teaching, the thread, and the takeaway. Boom. You better be back for that. Boom. All right. Real quick. The most important part of our mm. podcast, the reason we've grown to 100 million listens, is a little portion we like to call David's Eats. And uh, Dave, what's the best thing you've eaten all week? Well, I've been uh, I've, I've been eat, avoiding carbs. I'm, I'm in yeah. a little no-carb window right now until Thanksgiving, mm. trying to prepare myself for what's going to happen on getting that, that glorious getting, holiday. Yeah, getting so that Thanksgiving body so ready. So, like, my eating has not been as exciting, but... Um, uh, recently, uh, my stepdad actually, he's a hunter and he got some deer and he, I, I got some venison. And so I got a whole venison roast. Forgive us vegan, vegans yeah, out there. Yeah. Forgive sorry us. about that. Yeah. And, uh, just cooked it up really like just kind of, uh, seasoned it heavily, uh, browned it a little bit on the stove and then cooked it in the oven till it was about just to rare, which is kind of where you want venison rare, mid rare. And it looked pretty. It's delicious. I saw the picture. My girls, two of my girls love it. My wife won't eat it. Um, she's too gamey for her, I guess. Okay. Um, but I, I would say, you know, in my little no carb window here, the venison I had uh, was probably the best thing I've eaten this week. Oh, man. Love it. That's yeah. awesome. Hey, guys, thanks for listening or watching on YouTube. If you are, uh, feel free to like us, subscribe, give us a five star rating, and help spread the word. We appreciate you guys. Look forward to seeing you next time on the Multiply Podcast. Peace.